Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hi, this is Jim White, and thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Coming up in today's episode, myself and Simon react to Daniel Levy speaking at the Cambridge Students' Union, where he covers a range of topics from Harry Kane to the club not being up for sale. We speak to show racism, the red card ambassador, Leroy Resenior, about the club badges of Manchester City and Manchester United and possible links to the slave trade. And we explain why we've no issue with British officials taking advantage of opportunities overseas. Simon, Daniel Levy, um, I'm not out of order saying that you're in semi-regular contact with him, aren't you, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Is that because of your time as a, a, a fellow um, chairman, as a, a bit owner? Of both. A bit a of bit, both. A bit of both. I, I have a view that some of the things that Daniel says are, are very worth listening to. I don't always agree with a lot of the positions that he takes on the way that he builds Tottenham Hotspur, but I think there's a lot of sense. I know Tottenham fans have strong views on Daniel and they're entitled to them. Um, but I have a regard for Daniel. I didn't have the regard when I was in football. I found him difficult to deal with. I don't believe the myth that Daniel's the best deal maker in the world. I think he, if you've got an opportunity to sell something and someone desperately wants to buy it, that's not the same as being a good deal maker. Um, but I do think that a lot of what he says has sense attached to it. And so I, I take value from some of it and not so much from others. Good. Well, this is a good, uh, if somewhat unusual, opportunity for us to do that this very morning. And for this, we really have, I suppose, to thank uh, the students at the Cambridge Union, um, because this gives us an opportunity to to try and get inside the mind of Daniel Levy. So Daniel Levy, the Tottenham chairman, for anybody out there that doesn't know, um, doesn't speak very frequently. I've met him on a number of occasions in 20 plus years here uh, in London. I've always found him very decent to deal with. But yeah. He's he's a tough customer. Of course he is. And I remember that around the time that he was holding out and holding out and holding out in his dealings with uh, Real Madrid regards the sale of Gareth Bale. And why wouldn't he? So he's been talking to the students at the Cambridge Union. Let's pick over the bones of this, Simon. Here we go. He was asked if Spurs are sacrificing on-field success for off-field investment. I guess my starting point is I don't agree with it because if you look at... Um, the amount of money that Tottenham has spent on new players over the last five or ten years, 
and you compare it with certain other clubs in the Premier League, not only have we exceeded those clubs, but actually um, some of those clubs may well have been more successful than us on the pitch. There is not necessarily a direct link between the amount of money you spend and getting success on the pitch. Invariably, it's what you spend it on. I can name, I won't name, but we could all name probably in here, uh, a number of players that Tottenham has bought um, have, that have not been successful and we've lost an awful lot of money. It's been an incredible journey. You know, in, the, in the 22 years, Tottenham has progressed enormously in that time period, not as much as, as, fa- as a fan we would hope, mm. but um, hopefully it's, the journey's not over and we're still hoping that we're going to get that trophy which we need. You do, Daniel, and you know that. That was all quite balanced and fair, was it not, Simon? Um, well, there is a direct link between money and success. He's right to say how that money's deployed. Well, Bowley's proved that's not the case. Well, currently he has, yes, but the Bowley's been in situ for six or seven months, um, nine months, let's say, for the purpose of this conversation, um, and has yet to really understand the dynamics of the football field, not 22 years like Daniel has. Um, and Man City and Chelsea, in previous incarnations, have proved the direct link between having an enormous amount of money and a successful team. It is obvious that... The, how you deploy money, and probably he's referencing Everton. That's probably who he was referencing about their spend pattern. And it's not it, Daniel shouldn't take solace from the argument that money and, and success aren't directly related because it's how you spend it, because that will make the argument that if he spent a lot of money, which he's alluding to, that he hasn't spent it very well. And that isn't a badge of honour for Daniel, is it? It's a reason that it's a reasoned argument. It'll deal with the Cambridge Union in terms of young students with hungry minds wanting to listen to Daniel Levy talk about the business of football. But when you look at it and say, that's great, you spent a lot of money. But on your watch, that money hasn't been spent well because there are teams that are successful that have spent less money than you and been successful, and there are teams that have spent more money than you that have been successful. And by the definition of success, I think the question is, Daniel, what is your definition of success? (laughs) That's the question, isn't it? Yes, that is the question. He went on. He, He went on to speak about reports of investors wanting to buy Tottenham Hotspur as a club. Eni Cohen's approximately 87% of the club. We have 30,000 shareholders, most of who are fans that own the shares. And we have a duty to consider any proposals that anyone wants to make. All I would say is we're not in negotiations with anybody, nor have we been over recent months. And all the stuff that has been in the newspapers is completely untrue. <gasps> so it was untrue. <laughs> They're not talking to anybody. What do you think? Um, well, People are course, knocking on his well, door all the time, well, surely. Well, of course he has a duty to the minority shareholders. That's a matter of fact. It's a fiduciary responsibility. But the fact they own 87.5% dictates the terms of any conditionality around a deal, and you, they won't be doing anything unless it suits the 75% majority shareholders, which is Daniel and Joe Lewis and the Enoch group. Um, so with that in mind, Tottenham Hotspur, Daniel said to me a while ago that when we talked about this £3.5 billion offer, that he wouldn't get people in the side door, let alone the front door. So that tells you where he thinks Spurs are. How you square that circle, I don't know, because it's difficult to make um, the justification for three and a half billion quid for Tottenham Hotspur, who don't operate at the top end of football recognition in terms of worldwide eyes on the prize, achievements and outcomes. Yes, they have got the best stadium in the world, no doubt about it. They've probably got one of the best training grounds in the world. But that's all fur cut and no knickers. They need to win... <laughs> competitions to elevate their 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 relationship with the world's audience and then their inherent value will become greater. So I do like the balance to be disrupt between having the infrastructure and of course winning things because what's the point of having the best stadium? 
what's the point of that if you're not going to put a team inside it that's befitting of the best stadium? Yeah. And right now, they haven't, and there's an argument. Daniel will make the argument. The direction of travel for 22 years has been far, far better than his predecessors. This is now a stable, uh, commercially well-run football club. But in the business of football, that has to also equate to a successful football club. And again, the question must abound, what is success to Daniel? In part, it's being in the Champions League. Alongside that, because of the visceral nature of sport and the fact that it defies commerciality, it's driven by emotion. You can't not have emotion involved. And emotion goes with winning things. Yeah. Tottenham fans want to see something won. Sure, Daniel's of course. Job is to get them something one. Well, the old students weren't finished there because we got onto the subject of Harry Kane and Daniel spoke about Harry. He can absolutely win a trophy at Spurs. But, you know, being, being a legend is also important. You know, the fact that he's the top scorer... Uh, for, for Tottenham Hotspur, he's making history. Um, and you know, I hope one day that there's a statue of Harry Kane outside our stadium. A statue of Harry outside the stadium. Mm. Well, I suppose Spurs fans would stand in front of that and get their pictures taken yeah. for sure because they love him. But uh, is, it, is it very important that Harry's regarded as a legend? If that's what they want to do. I mean, they put a statue of Michael Jackson outside the Fulham ground for what that was worth. <laughs> the bottom line is, is that, uh, you know, Daniel is talking in sound bites there and talking about platitudes about he wants Dan, uh, Harry Kane to be successful for his football team and legend status okay if that's part of Daniel's belief system then fine you know I, I, I think primarily Harry Kane is part of a team that has been unsuccessful and he's been a contributing factor to that as well because there are big games in big times when Harry Kane has been non-visible Mm. Uh, and not done the job that he would, uh, one would have expected him to but do. But the kind but of words that we heard Levy use there about Harry, will he use those exact same words in a contract negotiation with Harry? Oh, well, they're two different things. You know, I don't think Harry Kane is going to the poorhouse anytime soon. I don't think Harry Kane, in in terms of remuneration, is 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 you know not inside the highest echelons of of reward in the Premier League because I believe him to be so. You know, he is very, very well paid. Yeah. And that's fine because he scored a lot of goals. And the the use of words like legend, I don't, as a commercial animal that looks at the football clubs in a certain way, has the same emotion, I don't like banding around terms like legend. I let the fans do that. I let the media do that. I think when owners start doing it, you start falling into the scenario of trying to please people because Daniel will view Harry Kane in a certain way, which is there to do a job. He's the captain of the side. Yeah. Whether he believes he's a good leader or not, I don't know, but he's the captain of the side. Sure. And so with that in mind, those are playing to the gallery sort of comments. I wouldn't be sat there talking about my players as legend status. I'll be sat in there turning around and saying they've been absolutely fantastic for the football club. I've looked after them, they've looked after me, and long may that continue. Sure. And I agree with you totally about the overuse of the word legend. I mean, it's gone from a man pulling a, a sword from a stone yeah. to a family member unexpectedly coming home with crisps. Um, not often we hear from Levy, and that was a good opportunity to do so. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan from the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Every fan of every club, it seems, is having a view this morning on Manchester City and how well they're doing. It's kind of uh, through bit lip that they're giving, yeah, well done, City. I mean, Jordan and Rotherham saying, morning, Jim Simon. Erling Haaland, he's not going to be at City for too much longer. Don't worry about that. He'll emulate Zlatan's career and he'll conquer all the top leagues around Europe. Mm. 
We'll see, Jordan. We'll see. For the time being, he's conquering everything that stands in front of him in a Manchester City shirt. And that's all that Pep is bothered about. Uh, let's stay with Manchester City, Simon. Let's stay with Manchester United. Because uh, this story has uh, appeared in one or two of the newspapers and we knew it had been bubbling under. And now it's out there in the public domain. Manchester United and Manchester City. This morning... Facing calls from campaigners to change their badges after it was suggested that the boats depicted on them are linked to slavery. So when you look at the crest on um, the shirt of Manchester United, the crest on the shirt of City, you do see the sailboat in there. Anti-discrimination campaigners have called for a discussion into potential links between the logos and City benefiting from the trade. And when I say City, I mean the City of Manchester. Manchester, I mean, the chief exec of Show Racism, the red card, uh, Jed Grebe, has said he'd welcome a debate around what the symbols on the shirt represent. So where is the debate going to take us? United and City, for their part, have declined to comment so far. Uh, Show Racism, the red card ambassador... Leroy Senior joins us live on the show this morning. Leroy, good morning to you. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Simon. Morning, Leroy. Leroy, what is in this, if anything? I mean, you look at the United badge. The ship was introduced to the badge when the club changed its name from Newton Heath in 1902. Uh, the ship under sail proper was also featured on the city of Manchester's crest and was adopted to represent its history as a global trading power during the Industrial Revolution. As for Manchester City, City were founded in 1880. Thereafter, the city adopted the heraldic design of Manchester itself um, before striking out, if you like, on their own with a, a circular design in blue and white in the 60s, wrapped around the city's ship and three-stripe emblem. Where, where do you see this? Is, is, there, is, is there relevance in this, in the anti-discrimination campaigners, Leroy, are saying, let's have a discussion about this in terms of any lightly link or otherwise with slavery? Well, well thank you for that lesson, Jim, because uh, I didn't know that. Uh, and you know what? It, it's it's uh, enlightened me. And education is, is really good um, because... You know, you talk about, you know, the ships. I don't know what the ships represent. And sometimes, you know, ignorance can be bliss. But now it might be, uh, it might have been linked to slavery. I think a debate is a is a really good idea. And the reason I, I say that um, isn't because, you know, I don't want to just erase things from history. It's because, you know, I do a lot of work in terms of training and, and education. Once people are made aware of something, it changes their perception of something. Uh, for example, you know, when I, I'm doing work uh, within the media with people who work in the media, something that came up was the use of language. So, you know, the, the saying sold down the river was something that people didn't know referred to slaves being sold, sold down the Mississippi, Mississippi River. Yeah. And so when they're aware of that, then they become more comfortable with it. And then they decide, you know what, that's not something I want to be associated moving forward. Now, in relation to a logo, it's different, but there's always a chance for education. Now, the reason why I think it's a good idea to have a debate about it isn't because, you know, it's about, oh, let's just get rid of it. Let's just, let's just uh, do, do something else because this has been a part of Man United and Man City's history for a very long time. But the other reason is because it might be a chance for debate to say, look, where did this, what does it stand for? If it does, it ha- does have links to, to slavery. You know, where did it come from? And then it's a chance to educate people about slavery who know nothing about it. Sure. So sure. that's my perception of it. That's how. That's why I think it's really good to talk about it, about where it's come from and, and what it re- represents. Yeah. And then, then we'll see where we go from there. We'll come to Simon in a second. But Leroy, a, a, gar- <laughs> a Guardian reader 
has said, as someone who comes from Jamaica, I've been on a mm-hmm. mission to hopefully force a change in removal of slave ships featured on both City and United's Club logos, plus the City of Manchester Council. So it's out there, Leroy. And what you're saying is, yeah, if there is a discussion to be had, let's have it. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I totally agree with removing the slave ships from logos because, you know, from my point of view, having, you know, my, my heritage is, is one that is West African, having come from Sierra Leone, one of the places where, you know, millions of people were taken on slave ships uh, across the world and used as slaves and died on, on those ships on the way there. So I totally understand that. But the debate is really important about how, how we move forward and how we move forward collectively. And it's got to be a sensible and it's got to be not sensationalised because we all want to move forward. None, none of us were, uh, agrees with oppression or slavery or anything like that. So we need a sensible discussion on how we, we, we resolve this and move forward and have a positive outcome because that's really the key. And a positive outcome isn't just always just erasing stuff because I want my children to know about their history. I want their grandchildren to know about their history because history is important because history is important because we don't want to make the same mistakes again. So it's not just about erasing stuff. It's about how we use it to make sure that we get positive outcomes. Simon, I mean, in, in rugby, Exeter Chiefs dropped their Native American yeah. branding from their logo. In the NFL, the Washington Redskins rebranded yeah. as the Washington Commanders yeah. uh, just last year. So uh, there, there is a push of that, there is no doubt. Do you think this will lead to a seeing the ship and the image of the ship being taken off the United and the City badge. These are different contexts. Um, the Washington Redskins is, a, is an ideal behind cultural appropriation and, and, and scenarios of that sort of ilk. This is a, a remarkable leap to suggest that uh, the slavery trade, which was abolished 37 years before Manchester United created their badge, is in some way, shape or form directly relational to the sentiments behind the badge creation. We know that the Guardian are in self-flagellation mode because they've decided that ultimately they've, they've uncovered links from their original owners back to the slave trade and now given their highfalutin um, attitude towards certain aspects of society are now falling on their swords in remarkable order. But it is a leap to suggest that, that there is a, a link between a, a, a trade that was abolished and the abolishment of it was led by the British and enforced by the British that 37 years later um, on one club and 20 years later on another that subsequently they would put ships on their badges to reflect their rewards from slavery. If people want to have that debate and they think it's a constructive debate in the here and now, I grow a bit tired of the past being used to weaponise the present and the notion that everything needs to be looked at through the prism of, of colour in this country we don't talk about the slave trade and the, and the perpetrators of slave trading in the Caribbean that were one of the major architects of it themselves. We don't talk about the slave trade going back to the Egyptians or to the, or, or to the Greek Empire and look at it from there. We're, we're isolating it to one particular ethnicity. And I find this conversation slightly unnecessary because it's leveraging sport to create uh, a debate around something. Now, no one, not me, not Leroy, none of us are going to know the the intent behind the design of those badges 120 years ago because we didn't design them. Is that and the, fair to and say, the person, right? And the person who designed them yeah. isn't here to tell us the methodology of the reasons behind the design. Simon's not wrong in that, is he, Leroy? No, he's not wrong in what, what he said, but what I do disagree with Simon about using the prism of colour as a debate, but it's easy for you to say. In, in all honesty, because the use of colour has been used as a prism in how my life has, has been 
uh, has, has moved forward and for many people who of my color have have had to had to live so it is easy for you to say because you haven't why, come up with why it. is it easy for me to say because i'm living in a society but let me let me, let me tell you a question before you answer it i'm living well, in a society a where yeah. i'm told repeatedly and endlessly that i have to acknowledge my so-called white privilege and that as a middle-aged white person i'm not allowed to have a view on that my reaction true. to that so that and, and everything i listen to that. now is a debate <laughs> about color and it's not and, it's and, not and, true, and Simon, circumstances Simon, surrounding it true. yeah you, you, your definition of white privilege is is, is wrong uh, and you're not told that on a daily basis oh uh, i am basis no you're not you're certainly not told that by by me you most probably well, i don't that speak to you on a daily basis Lee, so i wouldn't well no I? you don't no you don't but uh, you don't you're not told that on a daily basis but anyway right? come on you can't speak for what i'm told yeah you can speak for your experiences in the same way that you're telling me you can't see the world through my eyes i'll accept that so you can't mm. now tell me how you can see the world through my eyes no i can't but what i can tell you is that how, how you can see it through my eyes and it isn't through uh it has to be seen through a prism of colour because that's how it, how it affects people, and maybe it doesn't affect you in the same way. But you have to accept that through my eyes, that's how the world is. Leroy, I'm just looking at some of the messages coming in, uh, specifically on the city and United badges and the ship on the crest. Rob, mm. Rob's a Manchester United fan. Manchester United changing the badge is ridiculous. What next? The devil being removed due to it being offensive religiously? This is sport. It's a badge. Get on with it. Uh, there's Albert and Croydon. You know, about the badges, it's woke nonsense this. Um, we, we cannot allow this. It, it's, it's people spouting rubbish. Uh, Jordan, a Manchester City fan. The ship represents the Manchester Ship Canal, and the tree, tree stripes, the the tree, three stripes represent uh, the the rivers as well. The the thought that this is anyway offensive is absolute nonsense. And there's another from Darren um, in relation to your topic of football badges. I, I concur with Simon. He's spot on here. I mean, what next? Vegetarians will be asking for the ram to be removed from Derby County's badge because well, they no don't eat meat. That- well, you've taken it to a place where it's not even there. We just said we're going to have a debate about what yeah. it represents. Yeah. <laughs> so we're not talking about removing the badge. And so that's what I'm talking about, sensationalising something. And, you know, the time you use the language weaponising, which is absolutely ridiculous, because that's not what it's about. You sensationalise Oh, it's precisely what yourself. it's about. I haven't finished it is precisely what it's about, Leroy. No, it's not, no, it's not about that. I, well, in my it view, it is. About, well, in your view, it's, I, I don't agree with your view. In my that's view, fine. It's about You're edu- entitled not to. Well, in my view, it's about education and it's about making sure that people are educated about what has happened in, in our world. And it's as simple as that. So it's not about weaponizing something or, or using it to, as, as a, a prism through colour. It's about educating people in a way that is informative and helps them to move forward and make better decisions. And, and if that discussion, Leroy, mm-hmm. led to there being a clear and obvious link between the ships and slavery... Would there then be the inevitable push, do you think, to, to have the badges changed? Um, I don't know. I don't know. But in it, I think that the, what I'm talking about is positive outcomes because what we've gone into, you've had loads of people sending in emails about, you know, it's a ridiculous to change the badge. Mm, we're not, yeah. It's not what we're talking about. We've gone, we've gone into a place that we haven't even, even contemplated. It's about positive outcomes and positive outcomes for everybody. So I'm, I'm talking about education. But it's not what you're talking about, about, Leroy, because you, you have a, a reasonable ability to have a debate. You and I may not agree on certain things, mm-hmm. but we can have a debate about our different views and come away with either understanding one another's point of view or continue our differences. There yeah. are other people within the framework of activism that are not interested in that. 
They are interested in weaponizing scenarios. They are interested in visiting the past and superimpose it over the present. They are interested in the notion of reparations and making, and, and making current generations have consequences for past ones. So it's not reasonable for you to suggest that I'm beyond the pale of reasonabilities to suggest that the language that's being used is being weaponized. Maybe not by you, Leroy. I thank you. That's what and I'm saying. I accept that entirely have, because I think we're having a difference of opinion, but a respectful a difference of opinion. And then you brought in a load of people about, talk about activists and people like that about, and I'm having a discussion with you, you and Jim, Simon, and you're talking about activists. But we're talking and, about and where this is going, Leroy. And well, we're talking we about where, the agenda well, behind the individuals. We don't know where it's going, Simon. We don't know where it's going. We don't know where the discussion is going. I know where people would like it to go. Because if we are in some shape or form, I don't know where I'd like it to go, Simon. Well, I've looked at these badges from and you'll say because you're a white person, you wouldn't look at it this way, and I can understand that. You're starting to weaponize it now because you don't know where I'd like it to go. I'm talking about having a sensible discussion. Those my words, sensible discussion and debate about how we move forward. Now, that's not weaponizing it. That's not being Well, no, in activist. this conversation, Leroy, you're well, perfectly correct. Well, that's the conversation correct. that we're having, but why are you taking it to a place where you get in, and what happens is you get messages from people saying, yes, yeah, Simon's right, he's right, we don't want to get rid of the badge, and, the, and people get, and you take them to a place where they, they then, then we, are, we have got a problem. That's what that's what you're doing. You're whipping up people uh, and taking them to a no, place. No, no, no. That's, say, no, that's what you're suggesting because, I'm doing. What I'm looking at you is the world. I'm looking at the world that we're living in. Four messages of people saying, "I'm with." That's Simon, quite Leroy. You can you can keep on talking and keep on talking. Well, we'll what, run what, the time what, down. what I would yeah. say, Simon, is and Leroy, there has been quite a cross section of um, of uh, reaction to it. Tom and Stoke were saying the Manchester Ship Canal was created to bring cotton in from the colonies. Slavery was key to that, says Tom in Stoke. So a discussion, Leroy is well mm-hmm. worth having. And where that leads is another matter altogether, correct? Exactly, exactly. So let's not be presume where, where it will lead or just say it's all going to be about activists like jumping and weaponising stuff. That's not that's not what the outcome... Well, we've just watched about three, everybody. four years of that going on, Leroy. Have you? We've just sat there with BLM what? movements and a variety of things going on that have done precisely that. We see nothing but division but to- being created in this country by activists that look at the world through the prism of colour. And whether you're you think BLM that's is about terminology all about or not, I, I don't. So saying, that, so saying BLM is all about activists, everybody to do with the BLM? The BLM I think the movement activists. is, yeah. Nice nonsense. Okay, we're going slightly off piece, but we'll come back on track. <laughs> yeah, nonsense. Leroy Rossini, I want to thank you for your time, though, as always. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jim. Take care, mate. You're 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Outspoken with White and Jordan. I tell you what Michael Oliver, top referee, did the other day, Simon. He popped over, and you might have seen this, to Saudi Arabia and uh, refereed uh, the Saudi Pro League clash between Al Nasser and Al Halal at the King Fahd International Stadium. That was uh, as recent as Tuesday night. Ronaldo and all. In fact, uh, Ronaldo got involved in some kind of incident with another player and was lucky to stay in the pitch. Anyway, that's by the bar. What what about this? Is there anything wrong with our referees heading over to Saudi Arabia in between Premier League duties, as Michael Oliver clearly did? What would the motivation be for them to do it? Maybe it's the money. What is the money? Apparently, reportedly, get three grand for it. But why would he need to do it? Does it aid the reputation of English referees across the globe? A short time ago, uh, Simon, I spoke to uh, Mark Halsey, former referee, and I said to him, Mark, what about Oliver going to Saudi? What's your take on that? It happens frequently. Uh, I've done it myself. I've been out to Libya and refereed the two top teams out in Libya. I remember uh, Graham Pohl going out there as well, refereeing, you know, cup, cup finals. Um, what it is, it's, it's the national associations that contact the FA and ask for uh, to send some match officials out to, or they will request a, a referee. So it happens throughout the world. You know, other national associations do the same thing. If they wanted an Italian referee, they would have gone to the Italian FA. But this game, they wanted an English referee. So it's nothing out of the norm. It happens frequently. Does money play a part in this? So it's reported that Oliver got £3,000 to, to referee that match. Did money play a part in it when you went to Libya? No, not at all. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if they asked the FA phones up, Michael, to say, listen, there's a game out in Saudi Arabia. We want you to go out and represent our country. And it's not a problem. Of course, they, I mean, they get paid. All referees get paid for every game. Yeah, every Premier League game, a referee gets paid. Every Champions League game, the referee gets paid. So they're professional, they're professional athletes. So obviously they will get paid. Apart from the money, though, what else is really in it for a referee? Listen, it's another game. You go out there visiting another country. That's the beauty of being a, your, your top referee and being on the FIFA international list. You go, you travel around the world and you travel around the world refereeing football matches, what you love to do. That's what referees love to do. They love to get to the pinnacle of their career and they go around and referee football matches all over the world. So having done it yourself, you thoroughly endorse this. I mean, you see it as a positive for the reputation of English referees. Absolutely. I mean, we were, Ronaldo's the best referees in the world, um, in, 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 in Europe and in, in the world. So, Premier League goes worldwide and everybody loves the Premier League. And it's good to see that one of our team of officials are chosen to go out to Saudi and referee this game. I'm not sure that Mark would race back to Libya at, the, at this precise time. But is there anything wrong with our referees heading to Saudi in between the Premier League duties? Well, if someone, if someone values our referees, which sometimes in this country we don't, there's nothing wrong with that. It depends upon the contractual nature of their status with the PGMOL. If they're able to do that, then there's no reason why they shouldn't be able to do it. You yeah, you got permission from the PGMOL. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm not even sure that it would require that because ultimately, if you're not engaged professionally by them, and you have, say, a service company that works with them and you engage with them as and when required, and you're not necessarily a salaried employee, then you should be able to apply your trade wherever you see fit. 
Right, it's, a, it's a silly argument from Mark to suggest they didn't go over there for money. Oh, they go over there for goodwill? Were they a charity envoy? They wanted to make sure that everything was okay in Saudi and give a representation of well, everything. Well, they, they went three k. I mean, I think they the went Saudis over, would stump up more than that. They went over there to be paid for doing a job. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with suggesting that's the case. The players go wherever the money is. Why shouldn't the top officials? Why shouldn't the top officials go and referee games in other countries? They're not going to learn anything from Saudi Arabian football, are they? Let's be clear. It's not exactly at the high standard. They're not going over there as a goodwill emissary, are they? They're going over there because they want to get paid for applying their trade. Nothing wrong with it. Nothing wrong regards the, the reputation uh, of English referees why? Why, why, why across would I, the planet. But why would are we talking about the human rights issues in this country and then going applying their trade over there? And that's a bad look. Or are we simply saying that professionally it diminishes them by refereeing could, lesser standard it games? It could be looked upon from that point of view. Well, we can make that argument. You and I had all sorts of questions asked about us when we went well, to we Qatar can make, for the World we Cup. We can make that uh, um, um, analogy if we want to, and we can make the analogy of how many government deals are done with the Saudi Arabians and go on and on and on, giving whatabouts. I simply think it's a professional... Uh, it's a profession. It's becoming a well-paid profession. It should be a well-paid profession because ultimately everybody else in football gets paid well. So why should the f- officials that are being asked to keep the game in order not be remunerated and what and then we get the best in class yeah and if that means that they have whistle will travel why not yeah yeah i mean it's it's reckoned that oliver's on a salary of about two hundred thousand here uh some would say well does he need that extra extra cash well, why not? Hit? i mean i mean again i asked the question why should why should the managers and the players and those that are associated football and the ghastly agents we're just talking about profit out of every aspect of football yeah, an important component part, which suffers unadulterated abuse at times, not have an opportunity to be commercially benefited from their associations. They're an important part of it. We want the best in class. We want the best officials. And part and parcel of that is the training, the investment, and perhaps the career path. Yeah. And if a career path means you can travel, no one turned around to Howard Webb and said to Howard Webb when he slung his hook over to the MLS, well, I'm not sure about that, he's been brought back. Yeah. run the game. It's a spin-off, isn't it? Yeah, it's I mean, a benefit. I mean, these guys do not earn anywhere near what an agent would get, of course, for, for a specific deal. Anywhere near what players get. Obviously, we know that. I can't see the controversy in it. I can't see the politics of envy from those that suggest that referees maybe should not get paid this kind of money or shouldn't be able to apply their trade. But that's nothing but the politics of envy. The bottom line is these are professional guys that have to be very fit to do their jobs, have to be fit for purpose, and the better they get, yeah. the better it is for all of us. And there shouldn't be any resistance to this. If people want to make it about something like human rights, we'll have that discussion, but we're talking about someone going over there. And, in fact, they should be quite flattered that our officials are being selected over other countries' officials because, clearly, the Saudi Arabians and whoever else will next call for these people have a view that our referees are of a decent standard. Exactly. So reputationally, uh, it, it does no harm whatsoever. OK, have whistle, we'll travel. Nothing wrong in it, as far as we're concerned. Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. Please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. We'll be back each weekday to bring you the best of the show.